have grown in their roles and who have had the opportunity to find and discover new things, I consider it. And he's back. I consider it a real a gift to be able to do that. Oh, now we're going to have full out Making more growling. Noise. Try one more time. I'm Rodney Lee Rogers. This is the Pure Theater Podcast. That was Sharon Gracie. And this is take number two. We tried a little earlier this morning. We have a brand new puppy, Tide, who's in front of us. So if you hear a little whining, a little pitter-patter, that is him. He will not go away. He is part <laughs> of the circus that is Pure Theater. And it is a circus. And our ringleader is right here, Sharon Gracie, artistic director, director of the Lehman Trilogy. We're partners in crime for the last 20 plus years. I raised five children, started the theater company. He just goes on and on and on and on and on. So I mainly want to talk about the Lehman Trilogy. And it's up right now. Am I correct? It is. It is up and running through the second week in February, a five-week run. I'm very happy to say that it is succeeding on all levels. Yeah. Artistically, I'm super proud of it. It's a beautiful, beautiful show. The performances are gorgeous. The design work is exceptional. And audiences are coming in droves. So within this circus, which is being an artistic director, running a family, everything else, you directed the show. What was that like? I mean, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's for sure. Just because of the length of the play, but not just the length, just the depth of, of what happens and the amount of time that the story actually spans from the mid-1800s when the three Lehman Brothers immigrate to the United States until 2008 and then kind of the collapse of, of Lehman Corporation. There's, you know, a lot transpires. You know, they, they had an impact globally on global finances and, and how money moves and exists and informs our societies. So there's, there's a lot there to kind of sink your, your teeth into and, and unpack. Yeah, it brought us right up to today. If you missed last week's podcast, it was with Stephen Slifer. He worked for Lehman Brothers in the 90s. Uh, fascinating one, so you can go back and look at that. Um, challenges. It's a it's a bigger show. There's a lot of design elements that are incorporated in. And one of the things that, that I am really, really interested in as a creative and as a director is common movement. And that sometimes can take a lot of space. There's a lot of different elements scenically that move in and out that are that stand in for chairs and tables and desks and counters and a carriage and a tightrope. And that's all being constructed out of four essential elements that are available to us, two rolling tables, a chair on casters, a rolling cart, and several cubes all assemble and disassemble to create all of the worlds and all of the set. There's this amazing element of projection that's used on three large screens. And of course, are ever present in my collaboration, my ongoing 10-year collaboration with the brilliant Miles Boynest, who is not only company stage manager, he is an incredible, incredible sound designer. So the soundscape of the show is just gorgeous. So there were a lot of moving parts that had to aggregate together to create Lehman Trilogy and it was a wondrous, amazing opportunity, something to work on. Yeah, some really amazing uh, artists always behind the scenes that you don't always see from the stage. Not only Miles, but Richard Hefner, who did Amber the Amber Tolliver, yeah. Tolliver. And when I talk about 
designers, they exist in this incredible sphere of storytelling where, you know, we have been in rehearsals for Lehman Trilogy since July. We have been in design conversations about what this show was going to look like almost as long. Every designer who comes into the process comes into the process in service always of the third space. And the third space will be, is the play. And I think, you know, sometimes they're mentioned in reviews or they're, they're complimented, but I, I think that there isn't always the complete appreciation for what a designer brings and how much thought goes into every small detail of their design. If it is Ambernice Tolliver, who is the costume designer, what does that jacket look like? How are we using the top hats? Is there another top hat? Does Meyer Lehman wear spats in Act Two only? How is that contributing to the storytelling and to the understanding and the experience of the play? That is across the board of every single solitary designer. Richard Hefner, again, I use the word brilliant. He is unbelievable. I ask him for cubes. Can we please have four cubes? And he builds a cube with rivets that are are taking us into the industrial age. Some are crates that are much more rough hewn, where we're looking back to the early days in Alabama of the Lehman Brothers when they opened their shop in Montgomery. Down to let me build this table with wheels that harkens to something that's far more fabricated that we might find in the 20th century. It's just brilliant. Sound, it is exactly orchestrated that that sound starts in this moment. The precision of design is what I think is really, really remarkable. And it's something that I am just deeply, deeply in love with. Lauren Duffy, who brought her unbelievable talent to the show. The lighting scape and the lighting design is so rich and so delicious and so layered. You could just watch this play for design purposes alone. We haven't even talked about the three performances. They're extraordinary. We have three core ensemble members who are on stage, two of our original core ensemble, the the original members with you and I in 2004, R.W. Smith and David Mendel. I talk about having a lot of reps as a director and how that really is such a benefit. They've been on stage so many times over the past 21 seasons, and it really, really shows the level of experience alone that they bring to the equation. Their work is so rich and so complex and so stunning, so stunning. And they're joined by another core ensemble member, Michael Smallwood, who is so talented. He is His energy is so both audience focused and deeply filled that he is just so vibrant on stage and so delightful. His performances are so delightful. So you really can watch it again and again and again and find something new, which is really a hallmark of three really nuanced performances. In our first uh, conversation before, we're so rudely interrupted by the puppy. The now very calm puppy. For the Only because he's chewing his leash. He's chewing the leash. So it was almost last spring. We had a year's run on Ohm Radio doing a program called Dialogue, which is excellent. It really kind of led to what we're doing today. We had a kind of 20-year checkup 
are like we were 20 years on on the theater company I had a good conversation about that going into this 21st season we've got one more show to go it's been a great season if you remember any of that conversation what how do you feel how do you feel like with where we are now we're thriving we're thriving artistically we're thriving as as a business as a not-for-profit organization I think we're we're thriving individually I feel incredibly incredibly fortunate after 21 seasons to be at the helm of this organization and to have been here for this entire ride I mean it's pure is just this it's just a wonder it's just there's so much wonder when I look at everything that this company has done and the lives that it has touched whether you're you're part of the staff or the board or the core ensemble or you're a visiting artist that seems really obvious but audiences who have been touched by the work that we do at pure I was in the theater last week I think it was maybe Friday night and I I had the the good fortune to run into a long-term patron who joined us during our cigar factory days so he and his wife have been with us and 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 his children two of his grown adult children who are our age two of whom were actually in the theater with their partners on friday night as well and we were laughing about our beginnings in the cigar factory which i mean i know them i know them well and if it hadn't been for pure our cry our paths may not have crossed. And I think that kind of intersectionality that Pure has prompted and really any arts organization can can promote, that's not to be taken lightly. And I think that's really where that, that sense of wonder comes in. We have touched so many people's lives. This company has touched so many people's lives. I mean, what an honor to be a part of what it's been and what it's become and, and to be a part of where it's going. For what traditionally is a theater company, it's that ephemeral piece. It's like it's there, it's up, it's gone, it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working a lot now, not necessarily to capture that, though we are streaming the shows, which is something we've never done before, but really looking at how a theater company can be more lasting or permanent through different types of media outlets mm-hmm. and content. How excited are you about that? I think that is one gift that that came out of the global pandemic is that we cracked open modalities of acceptability that didn't exist prior to the pandemic. So we all of a sudden saw a pathway to scalability that prior to was really not available to most organizations and companies. And Pure has definitely invested in scaling, and it is something that we are moving down the path of with great intentionality and great focus and great specificity of what we think the ability to scale our product can mean not only to the bottom line of the business but service which is mm-hmm. really the core of our business we serve we serve and we serve communities and how do we reach more people with this ability to scale our work that wasn't present prior to 
or even what we're doing right now with a podcast. Absolutely. It's not necessarily intended for worldwide consumption. It's in, in, intended to deepen our experience with the audience that's coming. And not that we're against worldwide consumption. Right. I mean, <laughs> but, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, if yeah. I sat down and, I mean, why wouldn't you talk to someone about their job and what they do? I mean, yeah. I would find that interesting no matter what someone did. I'm so curious. A hundred questions for every person if I had the opportunity to meet and just ask a hundred questions. I would just, I would just love that. Well, I've been blessed because everyone so far is not a uh, shrinking violet. Right, everyone's so gracious. <laughs> Everybody likes to talk. What's next? Right, so there's one more main stage show. Yeah. But Septima, which we premiered last March, its world premiere, is going on tour, what we're referring to as the Low Country Tour. I think it has 11 performances in February. We're reaching communities along the South Carolina coast from Charleston down into Beaufort, Hampton, Jasper counties. And we have written a grant to expand that tour. So we'll find out about that later on in the season, whether or not we've gotten that grant. But between now and then, we will tour that show. We will also perform it at Cannon Street Arts Center, which is really exciting. It's coming back for five performances, as well as some additional school shows, which is really, really exciting to me. And then we are working with the city of Charleston to do a Chautauqua-style event of Septima during Piccolo Spoleto Festival. So that will be happening as well. So, and there's a lot of products and, and ancillary materials that we're exploring and looking into as a way to diversify revenue, which is something that I'm very, very interested in as the executive and artistic director of the company. But some of these products, which are a proving ground, Septima is helping us prove the concepts. So definitely look for those to come out. And then after that, we have a, a musical, Caroline or Change, which I'm really, really excited about. So that opens the beginning of April and runs for four weeks at Cannes Street Arts Center. And then we're off and running. We'll be announcing next season, which is coming up. <laughs> season 22. It's always something. Yeah, it never stops. Thank goodness. Challenges of not only bringing a show back, but touring it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, have, there are many. Yeah. What are some that have hit you? Logistics are, are really, it, it's working out logistics. It's, it's advancing each of these shows. You're going into 11 unique venues. That, there's logistical challenges there. You're, you know, you're standing up a show that has parameters around it, and then you're asking a cast to be really, really flexible within it because when you get to some venues, they may not have all the same technical requirements that, that we are asking for. So how do we adjust really in the moment to preserve the efficacy of the show within the realities of each venue? And we are, we're going to some smaller communities and some smaller theaters and we're also going to some larger theaters so it's going to be a broad swath of venues that we'll be performing in and then you know we're we're moving a cast of six we're, we're taking stage managers we're taking technicians with us it's a it's an undertaking to tour we're building that muscle to learn to tour and we're making those great relationships in in these communities that we'll be in and I'm I'm really excited for more to come it's a great great huge opportunity for us and you're doing something on Thursday Right, Going to USC Beaufort Center for the Arts and having a conversation and a dialogue about the creation and the making of Septima, the is, making of the play. Is that open for anyone? Mm -hmm. oh. It is. Well, very good. If you get to this before Thursday the 25th, you can check that out at USC Beaufort. Mm -hmm. um, Center for the Arts. Center for the Arts. 
So creatively, what do you want to tackle next? Creatively, what I want to tackle next is taking some time. Take some creative downtime. It's creative downtime, exactly. But I really, there are some projects that are, are mine that I'm interested in exploring and developing. And what I really, really need is just creative downtime to just ideate on what these properties want to be and their original work. And I find that they keep knocking on my imagination when I'm in the shower or I'm cooking dinner or I'm taking a walk or I'm just sitting thinking these these projects and properties keep knocking on that door, demanding my attention. And when I'm working on other things, I can't give them the attention that they deserve or that they're asking for. So... I would say, ideally, I'll be able to take a little bit of a break, at least six to eight months where I'm actually not directing anything. So, mm. But there's shows coming up next season that I'm very, very interested in directing. Mm. So that might inform a little bit what the season looks like next year, how I structure some things. Such a curse of uh, an artist is like so many ideas, so little time. Right. Um and you know that quality of finishing kind of mm -hmm. what you start. I know that's a huge obstacle for me. It's mm -hmm. like finish this one, move on to the next one instead of entertaining all these right. amazing ideas. Options. Same, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so talking about creating and putting together new pieces as if we don't have enough to do, we have coming up Pure Lab. Mm -hmm. What, I mean, what is that? So Pure Lab is the arm of pure theater that develops new work. So when we have new properties that come to the stage, they're coming through Pure Lab. For example, the incredibly successful, very, very funny political satire, Atwater, was developed in Pure Lab. So that show is now just beginning. It's kind of dipping its toe in the water of having a life beyond pure theater, which is really, really exciting. But the lab is a home for playwrights and lyricists and composers because I'm very interested in developing new musicals as well. Isn't that an interesting thing to come out of a company that doesn't really produce musicals? But that's a really interesting component that I, I really want to be included in the lab is that we are a home for that work as well. So that's really what the lab is. It's a place to develop new plays. And it's a coming together of playwrights and ensemble and individuals who are really, really well-versed in the art of storytelling that help a play become the best possible version of itself. And for some of those plays, finding their way to the pure stage and like Atwater Beyond. Are there any people helping out with that? The brilliant Clifton Campbell. I use that word so much, brilliant. And I don't want people, again, to think it's like this adjective I use to describe people willy-nilly because it's not. I do not use it lightly. I think Pure is a magnet for people who are exceptional at what they do, and they find their way to this company. And thank heavens, they tend to stick. And Clifton would be one of them. He has such an incredible, incredible mind that moves at 3,000 miles per hour, and it's just fun to be around him. He has a, a history. He, be, he began his career as a playwright in Chicago. He went to Los Angeles. He was snatched up by the television and film world, and he spent, I think, 35, 40 years in, in that environment, maybe not quite that long. 
But I mean, he's a showrunner. I mean, he's just he's just brilliant. It's just not an, an overuse of that word. So he's definitely a major part of the lab. You are definitely a major part of the lab. Your unbridled creative genius, your command of storytelling is just exceptional. So anyone who has an opportunity to write inside the lab is, is hopefully going to find themselves better for it. I think we're in such an interesting place in the company in that with everything, I think, creatively, you always think you're going to get it done in two years, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it takes forever. I think we have finally gotten to a stability and to a place where we're ready to dive into the rigor of training, creation, building, all these things that I feel we're really kind of poised to uh, head into, you know, with our training programs, even going mm-hmm. out to the high schools, everything. It's just a really awesome time. It is. It's a really, really exciting time to be pure. And I think the word rigor, you, you know, you and I have talked about that. We've talked about the absence of rigor and what that produces. And I think what's really, really an important component of a company that practices a great deal of rigor or, or has a great deal of rigor around itself is that rigor cannot live in one person. It must live in every person. And I think that's one of the main reasons why pure theater has such legs and has such sustainability and continues to grow and expand and to deepen and just become more exceptional. It's because there is a great deal of collective rigor that we demand of ourselves and as importantly, we demand of one another. Well, it's turned out to be a fairly serious conversation. And kind I don't of, think kind so. Of, kind, of, think... kind of by the books, but that's good. I think for someone who doesn't know the company, it's like a, it's a great way in for those of you who do, you just keep coming, um, you know, because it's like just more and more good things. We are incredibly lucky and happy to do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, very and much we so. enjoy it very much. Um, anything else? You know, I think people ask all the time, you know, what is it? What does pure need? And pure really needs you. It, it needs you to be there for it to participate in the work that we do because there is that that trilogy that exists in professional theater it is it is the piece that's being performed it is those who are performing or creating it the creatives around it and it's the audience without the audience it's we really have to question is it an act of theater even if it's an audience of one so always consistently be that audience of one encourage other people to be that audience of one own the pure experience in the way that so many people have done over the past 21 seasons, that it really becomes a very, very personal attachment to the work that we do. There is a reason that theater has survived for millennia. There is a reason. It's not accidental. There is a reason why we choose it as a form of entertainment and reflection in equal measure because it serves us as human beings to understand our world through live performance. And I think that's really what I would encourage people to do is become involved, experience the work, question what we do, find yourself within it, and help us grow. I'm very excited about everything that we're doing. 
very excited to have you here, even though you're in the house all the time. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, you but, don't say that yet. when I'm saying, could you have to do the recycling? <laughs> Hopefully you'll come back. Hopefully we'll do more. That'd be great. I'd love it. Thank you. Well, Sharon, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. Next week, when we're going to be looking to have in David Mandel. He's the last of the old guard. And hopefully we're going to get him here for He's you. He's such a good one. I'm so excited. 